healer of diseases, master of nature, conqueror of demons and death. Jesus not only preached the kingdom of God in words, but He demonstrated it in power through His miraculous works. Last Sunday we began a new series, The Miracles of Jesus. An in-depth look at eight of Jesus' miracles that will open our eyes to their impact on the lives of those He touched, what they reveal about God's heart, and their significance to us today. Now the four Gospels record 34 different miracles of Jesus. In truth, however, these 34 miracles are not the only miracles that Jesus performed. John 20 verse 30 tells us Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. So what is a miracle? For the purpose of this lesson series, we've defined it this way. A miracle happens when God, who is continuously active in the world, breaks with His usual pattern and does something extraordinary and supernatural. So why miracles? What's the purpose of Miracles. In our first lesson, Water into Wine, last Sunday, we read John 2 and verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And so, over and over again throughout the Gospels, it reminds us that the purpose of the miracles of Jesus was to reveal his glory to us and that we might believe in Him. John 20, verse 31, immediately after telling us that Jesus performed many other miracles that are not recorded in the Gospels, John writes, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So why miracles? If I could sum it up in a single sentence, I would say the purpose of miracles is this. Jesus works. Authenticate Jesus' words. Jesus' works. Authenticate Jesus' words. Simply put, we believe who Jesus is and what He said because of what He did. His miracles. And that purpose is never so clear as in today's second lesson. Jesus heals a paralytic. This miracle is recorded in three of the Gospels. Matthew chapter 9, Mark chapter 2, and Luke chapter 5. Now we'll focus our attention on Luke's account mainly today. So let's begin by looking at the Scripture together. And before we work our way through these verses in Luke 5, let's pause and ask God to speak to us clearly through His Word, the Bible. Would you pray with me? Father, we are hungry. We are thirsty for more of You. We're Your disciples sitting at Your feet to learn. Teach us today, Jesus. Open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, our minds so we could understand and our hearts so that we would receive the truth and plant it there that it would produce fruit in our lives. Even today, teach us about 
this miracle, the paralytic, and the lessons that it has for our lives about You, Jesus. For we pray in Your precious name. Amen. As always, I believe that it's important for us to understand the context or the setting for today's text. And so, a lot has transpired since Jesus' first miracle, water into wine, that we studied last week. Luke 4, verses 14 and 15 tells us, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about Him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in the synagogues, and everyone praised Him. Upon coming to Capernaum on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus began teaching and performing miracles on a daily basis, including that of of delivering a demonic in the local synagogue. Luke 4, verses 36 and 37 tells us, All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these are! With authority and power He gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. And the news about Him spread throughout the surrounding area. And then after healing Simon Peter's mother-in-law, Luke chapter 4, verses 40 and 41 tells us, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying His hands on each one, He healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God! Then in Luke 5, verse 1, We read, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that would be the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around Him and listening to the Word of God. In fact, the crowd was pressing in on Him so much that verse 3 tells us He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked Him to put out a little from shore. Then He sat down and taught the people from the boat. After that sermon was over, Jesus provided a miraculous catch of fish for Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Then he healed a man of leprosy, and his popularity began to blossom even more. Luke 5 verse 15 says, the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. And so it's at the height of this frenzied popularity, if you will, that we come to our text today in Luke chapter 5 and verses 17 through 26. So follow along in your Bible as we begin with verse 17. It says, One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Now the parallel passage in Matthew 9 and verse 1 informs us that this took place in his hometown, which we would take to mean Capernaum, Jesus' hometown for the three plus years of his ministry. And notice the verse opens, One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. Isn't that interesting? This is one of the first indications that the Jewish leaders were checking out Jesus. His popularity had gotten their attention from every village of Galilee, from Judea, and notice it says even Jerusalem, in other words, from the temple. But don't miss this. It says they were sitting there. Did you see that? 
That's significant because it was Jewish custom in the first century that the teacher or the rabbi would sit and the audience would stand. I kind of like that idea. I think we might try that. (laughs) Just kidding. Kind of the opposite of what we do, isn't it? When we gather together in church today. Because you see, to stand in the presence of the one that was reading and teaching Scripture was a sign of respect both to the rabbi and to God. And yet verse 17 tells us the Jewish leaders were sitting there. Why? Because they were not about to show respect to Jesus or His teaching. Instead, they were sitting in judgment on Him Frankly, they were jealous and threatened by his popularity, and they were there for only one purpose, and that was to try to trip him up in something that he said or did. They were already after him this early in his ministry. Now verse 17 closes with Luke's comment, the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Neither Matthew nor Mark make this observation, but only Luke. Why? Because Luke was a what? A physician, a doctor, yeah. And of course he would take note of that. It was his vocation to heal the sick. And so he made note, as a doctor would, that Jesus had the power to do so. Let's continue with the text. Verses 18 and 19. Look at them with me. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do so because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Hmm. Some men came. Actually, Mark tells us there were four of them. Evidently, they were carrying this paralyzed friend on his mat to lay him before Jesus because, obviously, they wanted him to be healed. Now, what exactly was the cause of this man's paralysis, we do not know. The King James Version uses the word palsy, but a better translation is just paralyzed, whether due to a nervous system disorder, a birth disorder, an injury, a demon possession. This man is one of many in the Gospels described as paralyzed that Jesus healed. Notice verse 19 begins, they could not find a way to do this, to lay him before Jesus, because of the crowd. Now Mark 2 and verse 2 describes the situation this way, they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. So get the picture here, it was a huge overflowing crowd of both religious leaders and other curious Jews, and there was no way for these men to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus. But, they didn't give up. They went up on the roof, and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. You see, first century homes in Israel often had an outside stairs or ladder leading up to a flat roof. And it was on the flat roof that many people sought refuge, their quiet time, if you will. You might recall that it was while he was praying up on its roof that Peter received his vision in Acts chapter 10 to go to the house of Cornelius to preach the gospel to the Gentiles for the first time. It was a very common practice to be up on the roof. 
Roofs were often constructed of cross beams with a thick thatch of mud and straw and then covered by clay tiles so that the water would run off. Mark 2 and verse 4 explains a little more detail. It says they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the man, the mat the man was lying on. And their persistence pays off. Look at verses 20 and 21. When Jesus saw their faith, He said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Hmm. Notice it says in verse 20, When Jesus saw their faith. That's the faith, by the way, of the four men. Did you catch that? Not the, not the paralytic yet. It was the four men. Their faith was clearly seen by their actions. But Jesus now turns His attention to the paralytic and He says, notice, friend. <laughs> Don't miss that. It's a term of endearment. Friend, your sins are forgiven. Matthew and Mark use the word son. Son, your sins are forgiven. I think that's significant. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus' first and primary response was for the spiritual well-being of this paralyzed man. Above and beyond his physical well-being. Well, of course. I mean, what good would it have done to heal this man physically, to get him up on his feet and well in body, if he wasn't healed spiritually and well in soul? Matthew 16 and verse 26, Jesus put it this way. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? See, that's first and primary. Jesus' concern was for this man's complete wholeness, body, soul, and spirit. We'll come back to that in just a bit. The Jewish leaders, however, were outraged. Who is this fellow who speaks Blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Folks, that is exactly the point. Don't miss it. Jesus is clearly proclaiming himself to be God here. You see, there's only two possible conclusions that we can draw. Number one, Jesus is blaspheming and does not have the authority to forgive sin. Or, Jesus is God and does have the authority to forgive sin. It's one or the other. So which is it? How can we know for sure? Well, let's keep reading. Verses 22 through 25. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on, and went home, praising God. Notice verse 22 begins, Jesus knew what they were thinking. Don't miss that. They never said this accusation out loud, you realize. Verse 21 says the Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves. <laughs> they were only thinking this in their mind. So, you need proof that Jesus is God, do you? 
Well, here it is, right here. Jesus read their thoughts. Only God can read people's hearts and minds. Jesus, it says in verse 22, knew what they were thinking. But that went right over their heads. (laughs) So let's answer Jesus' question in verse 23. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Yeah, the answer is your sins are forgiven. If you haven't figured that out yet. Why is that easier? Because forgiveness is a private transaction between an individual and God. I mean, how can you prove or disprove it outwardly? It's much easier to say your sins are forgiven, but to say get up and walk requires immediate proof. It must be backed up by action. Everybody's going to know beyond a shadow of a doubt if this paralyzed man can walk or not. Everyone will know whether Jesus has the authority to heal this man's paralysis or not. And ultimately, this miracle will prove that what is seen, the physical healing, also proves what is not seen, the spiritual healing. Does that make sense? So in verse 24, Jesus prefaces His miracle with these words, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And He backs up that claim by telling the paralyzed man to get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately, don't miss that word, immediately He stood up in front of them, took what He had been lying on, and went home praising God. Point proven. Which brings us to verse 26. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. (laughs) Matthew 9 verse 8 records the crowd's response this way. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. Mark 2 verse 12 puts it this way. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. So much so that it silenced the Jewish leaders. Well, temporarily, as we know. I mean, how could they dispute this miracle? Again, Jesus' works authenticate Jesus' words. In this case, Jesus' work, get up, take your mat and go home, validates Jesus' word, your sins are forgiven. Well, let's look at the Scripture. Now, what lessons can we learn from our study together? Jesus heals this paralytic. And as I studied this text this last week, there were many truths and principles that stood out to me in the story of this miracle. I actually thought about taking the time to draw a life application from each of the characters in this story. I think we could do that. The four friends, the paralytic, Jesus, the Jewish leaders, the crowd. Oh, and what about the homeowner? Do you ever think about him? (laughs) Kind of the silent guy in this whole story. He had his roof ripped up. (laughs) He must have had something to say. But time doesn't allow us to do all that, so we're just going to keep it pretty simple. First, we're going to learn from the four friends 
And then we're going to learn from Jesus himself. Two lessons then. Number one, I see here a lesson from the friends about faithfulness. A lesson from the friends about faithfulness. I must come back once again to the beginning of verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, I think the key word here is saw. When Jesus saw their faith. Because you see, faithfulness is always visible. It is always demonstrated in action. Read James 2 and verse 18 out loud with me. Let's read this together. Show me how anyone can have faith without actions. It's impossible. I will show you my faith by my actions. And that's exactly what these four friends did. They proved their faithfulness by what they did. And their friend, the paralytic, was forever grateful. In particular, I want to apply this lesson about faithfulness to the way that these four men brought the paralytic to Jesus. Notice I say brought. I didn't say invited. Think about that for a minute. If we expect the miraculous to happen with our family and our friends, we must bring them. We must not just invite them. Did you know that of the 34 miracles that are recorded of Jesus in the Gospels, all but six of them, were the direct or indirect result of a family member or a friend bringing another person in need to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And that's what happened in today's story. The four men brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And as a result, Jesus healed him physically and spiritually. It would not have happened had they not brought him. Now as I thought about that, it suddenly dawned on me that there are basically two kinds of people in today's text. Think this through with me for a moment. First, those who are blocking and then those who are bringing. Isn't that true? You're one or the other in this text. You're either those who are blocking the way to Jesus or you are those who are bringing someone to Jesus. You're either in the way or you're leading the way. As I see it, there are three key principles at work in and through the lives of these four faithful friends as they brought the paralytic. The first is compassion. Compassion. Why did these four men do this for their paralyzed friend? Compassion. Compassion was what drove them to help the paralytic. Jesus was healing. Jesus was teaching. The place was packed out. There was no room. Verse 18 says they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. But it wasn't going to happen because verse 19 tells us they could not find a way to do this. But that didn't stop them. Their compassion drove them to make it happen. They knew that if they could only get their friend in front of Jesus, it would be life-changing. And so they went the extra mile. And because of their faithfulness, Jesus was able to do the miraculous. 
So the first key principle at work in and through these friends was compassion. The second was cooperation. Cooperation. Again, verse 18 begins, some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Some men, four of them we know to be exact. But the point is, it took all four of them working together to make this miracle possible. Cooperation. You see, bringing someone to Jesus is not a one-person job. If we're going to bring your relative, friend, neighbor, work associate, schoolmate, or others in your circle of influence to Christ, it is best done in cooperation with each other. We will never see the miraculous happen. We will never see spiritual awakening and revival in Springville and the foothills unless we are working together in unity. That's why tonight's one cry gathering is so critically important. We need to join our voices, our hearts together. We need to agree with one another as we cry out for the lost. Let's read Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 9 out loud together. Would you read this with me? Two people are far better than one. They get exponentially more done by working together. That's true, you know. The Bible, in fact, says that one sends a thousand to flight, two sends ten thousand to flight. The results are exponential. And so the second key principle at work in and through these friends was cooperation. The third, I think, is compulsion. Compulsion. So, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus, verse 19 tells us. That's compulsion. Without this inner motivation, without the sense of urgency for their paralyzed friend, without being compelled from within, it would have been easy for these friends to just give up. There were too many obstacles, too many difficulties in the way. The Apostle Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14, Christ's love compels us. I love that verse. Christ's love compels us. And when Christ's love compels us, we don't quit. We won't give up. We will find a way, even if we have to go to extremes and rip a roof off. (laughs) We'll make it happen. Whatever it takes. Let me put it this way. Aren't you glad that others didn't give up on you? Most likely you're here this morning because someone, several someones, were compelled to pray and invite and stay after you until they were instrumental in bringing you to Christ. And you might be sitting there right now tempted to believe that there is no way that your family member or friend will ever, ever be saved. You don't know Him. You don't know her. No, I don't. But, don't give up. Keep praying, keep sharing, keep trying. And if we need to work together to rip a few roofs off, then let's do it! Whatever it takes. So the third key principle in at work in these friends was compulsion. 
So the first lesson then to be learned from these four friends, a lesson about faithfulness. And in particular, a lesson about bringing people to Jesus Christ with compassion, cooperation, and compulsion. Again, the question that I would ask before we leave this point is are you blocking or are you bringing? Which one describes you? Are you in the way or are you leading the way? Number two, I see a lesson here from Jesus about forgiveness. A lesson from Jesus about forgiveness. Back to Jesus' first words to the paralytic in verse 20. Friend, your sins are forgiven. The truth is, this was the paralytic's greatest need. Forgiveness. I'm not sure the paralytic himself knew that. I'm positive his four friends only had physical healing on their minds. And without a doubt, this was the furthest thing from the Jewish religious leader's expectations. Regardless, Jesus understood that this was the paralytic's greatest need. And so this was first and foremost on Jesus' mind. Now you understand, as we read this text that this miracle is primarily a miracle of forgiveness, right? I mean, it's only secondary that Jesus also told the paralytic to get up, take your mat, and go home. It's only secondary. The greatest miracle that took place here was the miracle of forgiveness. Likewise, our greatest need today is Jesus forgiveness. That's the message of Christianity. This is the gospel, the good news, forgiveness. This is the heart and the core of the message of the early church. Just look at these scriptures in the book of Acts. Acts 2 verse 38. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Acts 10 verse 43. Everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. Acts 13 38. I want you to know that through Jesus the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Acts 26 verse 18. Open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. I realize that talking about humankind's need for forgiveness is not the most popular topic in some churches today. To speak of God's judgment and wrath, to teach about hell and eternal damnation, is considered old-fashioned, taboo. So I heard a pastor just recently say, it's not seeker-friendly. And too often, the message being proclaimed today is one of easy believism. It's all about God's love and mercy and grace. It's all about happiness and fulfillment. It's all about what's in it for me. Prosperity and health. Reminds me of Paul's warning. In 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. Let's read this one out loud together. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. 
And that's why much preaching and teaching today is so watered down, so me-centered. It's all about making people feel good. To renounce and rebuke sin, to confront someone with their need for confession and repentance, to proclaim that Jesus is the one and the only way to salvation, to tell someone that without Jesus they are bound for eternity, condemned to hell. Well, somehow we've gotten the impression that's not what people need to hear. And so we avoid discussing people's need for forgiveness. It's okay to talk about sin. Just don't talk about my sin. Not so at Springville Church of the Nazarene. This message of salvation is what we have and will continue to preach and teach. This gospel, this good news of the forgiveness of sin in Christ and Christ alone, we will proclaim without apology and without compromise. Forgiveness, it was the paralytic's greatest need and it is our greatest need yet today. And if you have not received Jesus' forgiveness, if you have not allowed Jesus to personally and individually speak over your life, friends, your sins are forgiven. You need to embrace Him as the forgiver and the leader of your life today. Right now. Not tomorrow. This is the moment. So I want you just to bow your head with me, would you? Like every head bowed and every eye closed. If you need to receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers in your life today, I just want you to pray this prayer after me. Just repeat these words Jesus, I am a sinner. I need Your forgiveness. I embrace You as the forgiver and the leader of my life. Thank You for forgiving me and saving me. In Your name I pray. Amen. second lesson then is to be learned from Jesus. And it's a lesson about forgiveness. The miracles of Jesus. This morning we've taken a look at how Jesus heals this paralytic here in Luke 5. And once again, here's some life applications that we need to take home with us from this text. First, a lesson from the friends about faithfulness, especially when it comes to bringing others to Jesus. Whatever it takes... (laughs) Let's rip a few roofs off. And second, a lesson from Jesus about forgiveness. Our greatest need. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You for teaching us again this morning from Your Word, making it come to life. I pray, dear God, for this lesson to sink in and that these two lessons actually that we've drawn from this text would uh, just be impressed upon our hearts and become a part of who we are. 
First of all, that we would have that same sense of urgency, the same compassion and cooperation and compulsion that these friends had to bring their friend to Jesus. May we see our family and friends that same way and do whatever it takes to bring them to you. Their eternity is at stake. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have taught us from this lesson that the greatest need is our forgiveness. And we will preach and teach and proclaim that message in our lives every day and from this church clearly and without compromise or apology. So I pray for anyone who may have prayed that prayer for the very first time today that they would know that you are now the forgiver and leader of their lives. Thank you for your salvation that is in you and you alone. Heal us today. First and foremost, spiritually. And then in other ways. Whatever touch we need from you, we're open to that today. As we lay ourselves before you, speak over us and do for us whatever is needed in this moment, we pray. In the powerful and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.